Okay, this is the third and final segment of uh, our little uh, study on this cosmic temple motif, which is so popular in evangelicalism. And uh, what we've looked at so far is that we've seen that according to G.K. Beale and other scholars, um, the the Garden of Eden was supposedly a microcosm of of the temple of the earth. It was uh, to be guarded by the sentinel priest who was Adam, who had priest robes and so on, and was also to guard the garden against Satan and was supposedly to subdue Satan as well, as we'll see. And um, that he was, once he'd done that and proved himself faithful, he and his posterity were to kind of push out the bounds of the temple until the temple garden covered the whole earth. So the original earth, as it came from God on the sixth day, was not a paradisical place. In fact, it was a place of of uh, wildness and uh, and predation and evil and thorns and thistles and so on. And that had to be subdued by by Adam and his descendants. Then also with this, what you get is that you get this this view of Adam being the cherub of. Ezekiel 28, which we looked at last time. And uh, you might think, why go to all of this, kind of all this length of, of tying this in with ancient Near Eastern views and so on? What, what's kind of the payout to all this? I mean, I mean, where are we going theologically with all of this? And the key is in um, what Beale says here, and he, he makes it really explicit in his New Testament biblical theology. Uh, page 26 of the Temple of the Church's Mission. I've read this before, but I'll read just, read just a little bit to you. Here he says that uh, as microcosmic symbolic structures, they, that is Eden and the Old Testament tabernacle and temples, were designed to point to a worldwide eschatological temple that perfectly reflects God's glory. And he goes on, it is this universally expanded eschatological temple that is pictured in Revelation's last vision. And uh, if you think that's the new Jerusalem and and so on, that's correct. Um, But, He doesn't take New Jerusalem um, literally. He says that's a symbol too of the church. So the church, the New Testament church, you see, in its, uh, its fruition, is that final eschatological temple. This is why it's called the temple and the church's mission. Do you see? Um eschatological what does that word mean well it means the end times and the the study of the end times so this all has to do with the study of the last things okay now there are different views of the study of the last things there are premillennialism i'm a premillennialist 
And I believe that Jesus will come back before he sets up a kingdom, a thousand year kingdom upon this earth, pre-millennium. The millennium being a literal thousand year reign of Christ before uh, he gives up the earth back to God and as uh, the judgment and new heavens and new earth after that. But Christ will reign on this earth, which was created for him, remember, according to Colossians 1:16 and 17, um, for a thousand years as the Davidic king. That's premillennialism. Uh, that tends to take a more face value, plain sense interpretation of scripture. Premillennialism really doesn't have a lot of use for the cosmic temple um, motif. It doesn't. It, it doesn't add anything to it. Do you see? This idea of expanding uh, the temple that doesn't kind of join with uh, the premillennialist view of the end times because really it's, it's nothing that we can do anything. It's nothing that the church can do. The church is supposed to do what it can do to stay pure and preach the gospel and uh, abide by the truth. Uh, but the world's going to do what the world's going to do, and it's going to get worse. Worse, and um, finally, it's Jesus that's going to sort everything out at His second coming and afterwards. So there's premillennialism. Then you've got postmillennialism. There are still some postmillennialists about. They kind of rise or fall depending on uh, how bright things look. But postmillennialists, they believe that uh, Jesus is going to come back after the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, basically brings in the millennium, do you see? So some of them will say that that has started, that the Holy Spirit has started to do that. Some of them will say that, no, that's still in the offing. The Holy Spirit, though, will use the church to bring in that uh, that millennium. It's not a literal thousand years, it's just the time of uh, worldwide... Um, a pervasion of gospel truth in the world. After that, Jesus comes back. So that's post-millennialism. Then there's amillennialism. Amillennialism, uh, basically the word means uh, no millennium. What they mean by no millennium is that there is no millennium after Jesus comes back. That's what that word means. They like to call it realized eschatology as well. Um, our millennialists, they believe, kind of like post-millennialists, it's a variety of post-millennialism really, our millennialists believe that uh, the millennium has already started. It started at the ascension of Jesus. And so the church, really, the kingdom has started and the kingdom is going on through the church and uh, the millennium is 2,000 years uh, long plus uh, at the present time. So they, they kind of spiritualize the length of the millennium, but the millennium is happening now. Do you see? Um, so those are the different views. Beale and uh, most people that hold to the cosmic temple view are, are millennialists. And this is the big thing. They believe you see, that the church is the true temple, that uh, Israel's temple, Solomon's temple and so on, and the tabernacle before that, they were types of the coming temple. And the coming temple was, was the church, do you see? 
And so the church, which is the new Israel in Jesus Christ, is also the real temple. So there's no need for the prophecies of the Old Testament to come through for Israel in a literal way. There's no need for a millennium after Jesus comes back. The church uh, in Christ will will, um, will do the work that Adam failed to do and that everybody else has failed to do. Uh, particularly when um, when Jesus comes back. Now, they don't believe in a millennium when he comes back. They believe the new heavens and new earth when he comes back. But the church is going to fulfill that mission as the, temp- the true temple of God. So it's our millennialism which is the big uh, payoff here. Post-millennialists also can use this. But as I've said, our millennialism is really just a, uh, a hybrid, in a sense, of, of post-millennialism. Because um, post-millennialists, as I've said, they believe that the church will bring in uh, the, the millennium. But they do believe, also like our millennialists, that there's no millennium after the second coming of Christ, you see? And in that sense, the post-millennialists are our millennialists, and also our millennialists, our millennialists who uh, believe that uh, basically everything's done in the intervening period, and that we're in the millennium now, uh, they're kind of post-millennial. Um, so there's the kind of it's the different nuances of of uh, post of of millennialism there between our and post millennialists just depends where you put the emphasis and that's really the issue that we we're dealing with here we're dealing with eschatology if this is true folks if all of this Eden as a cosmic temple to be expanded and so on if that is true as a motif. Throughout the scripture, it's a typological motif. There are types and there are patterns and recapitulations throughout scripture, according to these guys, that show this is what God's intent is. And if that is the case, then we have to interpret the Bible, not in a plain sense way, but in a typological way. And this kind of study... Uh, is kind of the uh, the academic scholarly work that's been done to try to prove that we don't read the Bible uh, for what it says and we we read it as it were uh, in this typological and uh, and uh, literary way and when we do that and we pay attention to these motifs and so on, lo and behold. We've done away with premillennialism. We've done away with the literal covenant promises to Israel. Israel, if it wants to get on board, has got to be part of the church. Do you see? But there's no national restoration of, of Israel. There's no uh, actual Davidic ruler on the throne in Jerusalem. Now, all of that, you see, is all typological. And so, um, the big, like as I said, the big payoff here is typological structures that they can track and say, look, this is what we find in the Bible. It fits the ancient world, uh, ancient world view. 
and that milieu and we're scholars and our millennialism has been proven, you see, to, to reflect all of this scholarly work. And you dumb premillennialists who just don't know anything about this stuff, you say you don't understand the things like the genre. You don't seem to understand the motifs in the Bible. You don't understand this expanding temple motif that we find throughout the Bible and uh, the second Adams uh, motifs and the, the new Exodus motifs and all of these other things that we find in Scripture using typological interpretation. But if you use typological interpretation, so we're told, then you'll find that our millennialism is true. And uh, that's really what's going on here. I've already shown you enough, and it's quite a lot more on this, and it will be in my book, um, The Words of the Covenant, Volume 1, which we hope to get out later this year. But uh, we've already shown you that Adam was not a priest in the garden. He actually was a, more of a kingly function. Block points that out in his essay. And many people have pointed out the regal function of Adam, not the priestly function of Adam. He certainly was not a cherub. He certainly was not a cherub as de- defined by Ezekiel in his book, if you look at the references on cherubs. Um, he was naked in the garden. He didn't wear any priestly garb at all. And he could not have defended uh, the Garden of Eden from Satan anyway. Let, let me read you something here. Because maybe some of you think that that uh, I'm saying something that Beale doesn't teach. But uh, page 32 of God Dwells Among Us, he says this. Uh, while the first Adam failed to subdue the serpent, the second Adam subdued the serpent and, quote, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, Revelation 12, 9. Uh, of course, he's misinterpreting Revelation 12 because there's no millennialist. Uh, Revelation 12 hasn't happened yet. Uh, but they read it as though it's, it's happened already. But the, the main thing here is that Beale is saying that Adam failed to subdue the serpent. He failed to subdue Satan. He should have subdued him. Uh, we see the same thing also here in uh, the temple and the church's mission. If I can quickly find this. Yeah, page uh, 70. Quote, when Adam failed to guard the temple by sinning, and letting in a foul serpent to defile the sanctuary, he lost his priestly role. And the cherubim took over the responsibility of guarding the garden temple. Hold on, I thought Adam was a cherubim. So you take one cherubim out, you put another cherubim in. You see how ridiculous this is. I mean, it's like Beale's a really brilliant guy, but doesn't he stop and think what he's saying here? Um... How on earth can a human being, even if he's Adam and he's maybe superhuman being, I don't care if he's 900 feet tall like the the Jewish uh, interpreters had him. Uh, he's not any match for Satan, is he? I mean, Satan is the, uh, you, you take God and you take Michael the archangel and you know, a few other angels out of the picture and Satan's it as far as a power in the universe. He's extremely powerful. 
uh, angelic being. And he was a cherub, I believe. He's the anointed cherub of, of Ezekiel 28. Adam's not going to be able to keep him out. But you don't read in Genesis that he has to keep him out. You don't read any of that. This is being read into Genesis, do you see? The typology is being read into Genesis. It's not there, folks. What God wants us to do is to take him at his word. He doesn't want us to to start uh, thinking, okay, I know what it says on the surface, but there must be a deeper meaning there. And we'll go to the ancient Near Eastern uh, views and we'll import a bit of that into the text and then we'll we'll pretend that we um we see these motifs in in scripture and we'll read these into that we'll make a typology up and we'll read the bible according to that typology into blazes with what the covenants say that's not the way god wants us wants us to study the bible he wants us to believe him in fact Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But how can you have faith in a God that doesn't mean what he says? You can't have faith in anybody who doesn't believe what they, doesn't mean what they say. That would be absolutely ridiculous, particularly if they made a covenant and he couldn't believe it. So folks, as scholarly and well-intentioned as this might be, it's nonsense. Okay? It's wrong. The, the whole typology is wrong. It's anti-biblical. God created the world in six days. By the way, this reminds me, all of this view of the pushing out of, of the Garden of Eden into the untamed world, what does it presuppose? It presupposes old earth creationism. All these guys are old earth creationists. Or, in the case of uh, J. Richard Middleton here, uh, He's a full-blown member of Biologos. He's a, he's a theistic evolutionist. And so, these guys, they all believe in an old earth. They all believe that there was death and thorns and thistles before the fall. Do you see? I mean, they need it for this, this view. Otherwise, all the, all the enclosure is, is just a, that's what we do with gardens. You know, we enclose them because it makes them more beautiful. It makes them more pretty. Um, that's what I think God was doing in the, the in Eden, the, the the place of delight. He put a garden of delight in the middle of it, and uh, the whole world was a beautiful place. Sure, uh, Adam had to bring it under his dominion, but how? By defeating a bunch of uh, wicked things, by by pulling up all the weeds and so on that were there? No. By simply bringing order, human order, human ingenuity to the good earth, as uh, as the, the as it were the caretaker of the earth. That's what we see in Genesis chapter one, as far as this cosmic temple stuff is concerned, folks. I know it's cool. Okay? I know that it's the scholarly thing. I know the arguments and so on. I've got loads of books on it. But um, it's just not in the Bible. It's got too many things that are against it. I've just given you a few of them here. And I hope that when you come across this teaching that you'll remember these little studies and you'll at least be at least here 
one or two things that will stick in your mind and you'll think, okay, I, you know, I know this is nonsense. And uh, you'll just believe what God says. Because what he said is what he means.